Welcome to the Kind Faith Bible Podcast. Conversations about how we read the Bible for newcomers and nerds alike. Hey everybody, welcome to the Kind Faith. We are so glad you're here. I'm Jeff. I'm Tyler. And we're diving into a Christmas gift. Maybe just to ourselves, but we hope it's a blessing for you. We are are taking tough passages and... I'm taking them cold. Thankfully, Tyler's been doing some work on these and some study, but um, the way we wanted to do this was really look at a passage when it hits you for the first time and ask the questions that you see there and dive in and work toward interpreting it and understanding it in a way that um, that uses the lenses that we've been talking about, curiosity, wonder, and challenge. And so we're going to dive in. Let's do it. I'm a little nervous again about the passage this week. This is a hard one. I what, think. Where are we? Uh, this is Deuteronomy 21. Mm-hmm. So we're in the law. Moses is giving the law to Israel before they enter the promised land. And some of the laws are great. You know, Ten Commandments. You Makes can't, sense. Don't lie. Can't go wrong Honor with your those. parents. Don't uh, murder. Get that. Then there's several sections, several um, that feel just weird, outdated, you know. Why why can't you mix different threads together? That yeah. kind of thing. The kind of stuff Thomas Jefferson would have carved out of his Bible. Yeah, but then yeah. you have stuff like today's passage that um, honestly makes us want to close the Bible and maybe never read it again. Yeah, I, I think these are fascinating for me because we, we talked about one of the lenses that we, we wear just as default when we approach Scripture, and that is that this is just this book and it's God's. And if I come across anything that causes me upset emotionally, I just ignore it because it's gotta be right. And there's gotta be something wrong with me. And while there's a bit of, of uh, truth in that, that, that it is God's and we aren't going to get it completely. That's a sad way to approach scripture because then I'm dismissing things where I could find incredible value. Yeah. And uh, last week we talked about kind of a strategy for approaching texts like this. Maybe we could just say it up front. Yeah. Um, and so you share what you said from your professor, Ray Anderson. And some, I'll give the image. some big words. Yeah. Ray Anderson said that as we approach scripture, there's, there's a couple ways, overarching ways to read it. Is it a divine preference or is it a divine precedent or a biblical precedent? And by divine preference, he means, is this the way God intends it to be all times forever? That's divine preference. And then divine um, biblical precedent is, is this God meeting a sinful people in their sin and calling them to a new way of life? So that, yeah. that's how he talks about it. And the image I shared last week that helps me to think about that concept is, the idea of God up on top of the mountain versus down on ground level. And is this, again, same same concept, but just as we're reading, and especially when we come to a passage like today's, a question we can ask ourselves is, is this the grand ideal, the great preference of God that he's pulling us up the mountain to say this is how life is always supposed to be? Or is this God actually coming down and meeting us on our level? Uh, In the mess, yeah. so to speak. So let's talk about the mess. Here it is, uh, Deuteronomy 21.10. And we'll, we'll just have four verses this time. When you go out to war against your enemies and the Lord your God gives them into your hand and you take them captive and you see among the captives a beautiful woman and you desire to take her to be your wife 
and you bring her home to your house, she shall shave her head and pare her nails, and she shall take off the clothes in which she was captured, and shall remain in your house and lament her father and mother a full month. After that, you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. But if you no longer delight in her, you shall let her go where she wants. But you shall not sell her for money, nor shall you treat her as a slave, since you have humiliated her. Yikes. So that's a crazy practice in war. So when yeah. you go to war, the general summary is I, we've won, and now I look around at the spoils, and people get to be spoils, pretty girls. Mm-hmm. And I can take her home, and uh, that just about everything about that makes me uncomfortable. Um, it yeah, it makes me just imagine all sorts of horrible things. So yeah, I want to skip it. I want to do what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. I want to just go. Oh, I don't understand and get what's going on culturally, but I'm going to dive in with some with some curiosity as we. Go And the first thing that caused me curiosity is in verse 13. And, and she shall take off her clothes in which she was captured and shall remain in your house and lament her father and mother for a full month. There's this, this lamenting. And, and why, why is that there? What, why are we talking about her lamenting father and mother for a month? Um, that causes me curiosity. I'm also curious about her shaving her head and paring her nails. Yeah. I wonder in my mind, I'm thinking, are there other places where heads get shaved and nails get paired mm. and, and where that occurs in scripture? I, I also was curious about um, when you go to war in verse one and the Lord, it's all caps, L-O-R-D, which is a signal that that's God's proper name. Your God gives them into your hand and you take them captive. Um, that, that there's a giving that God does. So I've got all that curiosity that's running around. And so I want to, I want to pursue a few of those and let's, let's talk about them together. Let's talk about the yeah. shaved head and the yeah. paired nails. Curiously wise. I immediately go to Job. That's okay. where I went. Okay. Because when he gets all of this news, what does he do? He shaves his head. Yeah. There's nothing about paring back his nails, but shaved head seems to me to be all the way through scripture, a sign of mourning. Yeah, that's right. It's mourning, uh, lament. And in, uh, yeah, we don't necessarily go there. If uh, something grievous happens to me, my first reaction is not to shave my head, but that was the culturally... In the ancient world, that was a way of, like, just utter grief, right? Like, I need to become a whole new person for a while. Or I, I don't know all the psychology going into that, but there, there's definitely, like, Job's a good example, but all throughout Scripture, people that, um, the other things that they would do is sometimes put on, like, burlap sack, cover themselves in dust and ashes, shave their head. There's, there's physical mourning involved with, like internal grief. So, yeah. yeah, and I wonder why in this passage that that's called out and it's it's really emphasized this is the heart of the passage that she is given an opportunity to fully mourn, right? And that seems unique to me. 
Yeah. So you have to, in the midst of like our shock of this passage is how awful this, this looks like a terrible way to treat human beings. And like, we, there's no way we would stand for our soldiers today doing this after a war. Um, and yet in the midst, right in the, the heart of the passage, it's, it's something about restoring the dignity of this woman, even in the midst of this awful circumstance. God says, you're going to treat her like a human being. You're going to give her a chance to mourn. Uh, and you're going to let her a full month where you're going to take care of her. You're going to feed her. Um, but she's allowed to... You're going to clothe her. You're going to clothe her. And, and she's allowed to mourn the, the loss of her family. And which is, again... 21st century eyes are saying, yeah, but she's in her captive's house. The one maybe that killed her family is, yeah. So there's still, it, it makes me nauseous to think of yeah. it. And yet there's this little nugget of, but her dignity is being restored at the same time. Yeah. And that's confirmed in the, in the last couple of verses where if you no longer delight in her, she gets to go where she wants. Mm-hmm. That's a huge, like, what a freeing statement. She gets to go where she wants. She's, she is a person with a will, and if she doesn't, if she doesn't delight you, she, you, you don't, you don't get to keep her. You don't get to sell her for money. You don't get to treat her as a slave. I think, I think that's, that's an incredible, dignifying reality to this passage. Yeah, yeah. So one one way to read the Old Testament law is you realize. There's a, there, the only reason you need a law is if people were actually violating whatever that is, you know. And so for some, just a little random aside, but three different times in the first five books uh, of the Bible is the law, don't cook a baby goat in its mother's milk. Three times. I don't know why it's three times, but apparently it was a big problem. Um, <laughs> 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 you know, but it's not funny aside, but this one. So you're saying, okay, so what, what's the opposite of this scenario. Apparently, when the the male soldiers were going into battle, the the precedent for their society uh, and for any ancient society would have been these are all the spoils of war. Men and the men are going to be killed, the women are my trophies and I can do whatever I want with them. And so we know this even if, you know, any um modern renditions of ancient battles and things like I, I don't know what was popular recently, Game of Thrones, right? There's, yeah. there's going to be plenty of this kind of well, you the, see it in the news. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it happens in the world today so where what, there is just immediate um, injustice upon injustice within war. So yeah. the battle is won and then the troops go in and they rape the women and pillage the town and burn. And that seems so middle ages, but it's today. Right. So they're going to go in. You're uh, a soldier in war uh, is going to go in and rape whoever they want, typically would just leave them there, um, maybe take them home as a slave. Um, but here, there's, there's something going on here where God is actually taking them, honestly, light years ahead of where their culture would have been mm-hmm. to say, um, you're not going to do that. You're not allowed to just treat them like trash, treat them like objects. They are a person. Um, you're going to take them. You're going to actually feed them, clothe them, take care of them, let them live in your home. Then you, you can make them your wife. So it, it, it's a bit of God coming down to their level um, to say, I'm allowing this, but um, not because this is my 
divine ideal, but because of your hardness of heart and mm-hmm. I know how the world mm-hmm. works. And so you're going to take care of her. Uh, you're going to clothe her. You're going to make her your wife. If you don't want that, you're going to let her go freely. You're not going to sell her. She's not your slave because you've humiliated her. There's this um, really interesting way where you can imagine if if you were a soldier used to the old way of doing things, this would feel like a huge shock to say, oh, wait, God's telling me I have to treat the people I'm conquering as people. And I have to discipline my urges Yeah. after I sacrifice so much in war. And, and on top of that, what, what's, what's also powerful about this is it, it was no blessing for the women to go home without husbands. So to, to have a, a conquering army take the women and children with them, that seems horrific in our mind, but it was no blessing to send them back to their village because there's another village down the road that now sees them as vulnerable and would come in and not treat them with this kind of dignity at all, even though this doesn't seem like, like any dignity. Right. Any, any curiosity points I'm missing there? I, I'm, I'm looking for other things that I should be curious about. Um, there is the, the, the part that I think makes people initially read passages like this as if it's God's ideal is that first line. The mm. Lord your God gave them into your hand, mm. which mm-hmm. we want to then make this blanket statement to say, well, this then God's will. God, yeah, God's will was all of this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think we have to train ourselves to not jump to that conclusion. Mm. There's, there's definitely a sense God is in control. He is sovereign. And there was war in the ancient world. Uh, and when they won a battle, of course, they're going to give God that glory. Um, but then the rest of this passage is is God then coming down to their broken, hard-hearted level and saying, but when you do this, there's some safeguards in place mm-hmm. and you're going to still treat people with dignity. Uh, and, and so we have, to, we have to stop ourselves from just saying, oh, well, it says God gave them. Uh, so doesn't that mean he condones all of it? Yeah. 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 God's circumstantial blessing does not equate to his full blessing of all our behavior. Yeah. And that's that's one of those things that um, Christians can get caught up in a lot is, well, God, you know, brought me to this place and therefore everything, the way I got here, what I did, how I got here, it's all been blessed and worked together for for good. That's that passage that everybody loves to use. Yeah. Well, that's the curiosity part. Let's take a, a quick break so we can let you know what's coming up um, in the Kind Faith podcast in this next week. We've got a couple great things coming on. Um, Marcy and I are going to continue our Christmas gifts to give your spouse series. And we're going to start talking about the blessing of, of thankfulness for your spouse. And we're looking forward to that. And then I'm really looking forward to the message because we're still talking forgiveness. And we're going to talk about forgiveness in the context of vengeance and justice. And what's the difference between those two? And how do we release the right to vengeance while holding on to justice and hoping for justice. And so it should be a great, uh, a great week of content. That's great. I've been really enjoying those. They're very practical and, and coming at these topics from in ways that you don't often hear. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to those as well. Awesome. Well, let's jump back in and talk about wonder in yeah. this passage. So I've, I've been curious and I, I, I asked some questions and 
I do go to wonder, and we were hinting and dancing around that, but I, I really marvel at the invitation to humanity that um, God is, is calling Israel up to. There's that refrain that occurs over and over again in the Old Testament. It shall not be this way with you. God's always comparing the people of Israel to the, to the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, all the, all the, um, the, all the villages and, and civilizations that were around them and saying, you're going to be different. And here's a place where God says, I'm going to make you different. You're going to treat people with humanity, even in the context of war. Yeah. I think for me, when I go down that route, with this passage, there, there is, it, it's still hard because I still am looking at it from my modern day perspective. Uh, but there is, there's some clear moments where it points us to that, that awe and wonder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, I guess for, for me, for a lot of modern readers, we, we look at a passage like this and we wish, we kind of say, well, God did it wrong. He should have just said, don't ever treat women this way. Yeah. Don't mess with the women at all. Yeah. Honestly, he should have said, if some of us would say war should never happen. And that actually should have been the law here. Mm-hmm. Or, or if we're okay with war, we we should have said, yeah, but women and children should be left alone. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, there, there's all these different levels because we're um, in the modern world and we've created just societies and equality. And so... There's a lot of things that we almost wish the Bible would have said instead of this. Yep. And instead, we have to put ourselves back in the ancient world to say, okay, this is actually light years ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. And when you start to get to that, you realize, okay, God didn't come and say, don't treat women this way. But he did some things that I think if people took the word of God seriously, if the soldiers read this before every battle, I'm willing to bet that within a generation, this whole scenario of rape and conquest would have stopped completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. You have to, uh, you, you put yourself in a mindset that says, okay, the women that I'm, con- the, the towns that I'm conquering, the women are people that, reserve, that, that deserve dignity and honor and respect. If I see them and want to make them my wife, clear distinction, I'm not allowed to just rape them on the side of the road and leave them. I actually have to say, I'm going to make you my wife. Um, and we would still come back and say that's a really important distinction, huge. right? Yeah, yeah, because that that entails, especially in the ancient world, even more than today, it entails a high level of responsibility. If if I am taking someone as my wife, I have to then provide for them and for their future. Yeah, and take them into my home and feed them and clothe them and all of that. And so it, it's so much more than I get to have my way with this woman and leave her alone. I have Mm -hmm. to make her my wife. That's very clear. In the midst of that, I have to give her the dignity to mourn her loss, take her in fully as a human being. And if, if I, at the end of that, say I don't want her anymore, I have to send her on her way freely. I can't make money off of her. I can't profit from any of this. And so all of that, you're like, the... What's it? The, the instinct, the, the base instinct of, of a soldier, the soldier that's being depicted here in the ancient world, his base instinct is to do all that immediately because he's letting his lust run wild. Well, that's all tempered with a month of taking care of this woman and then making her my wife. Like that's a huge responsibility. And so you're it already is saying, well, do you really want this? 
are you gonna are you gonna actually take that responsibility mm-hmm. on for the the dignity of this actual human being in front of you for the rest of her life? Yeah. And there's a timing. There's a timing yeah. question in verse fourteen that has to do. You really want this? But if you no longer delight in her, which you could read that as super offensive, like how dare you? You know, she doesn't delight you, and she's got to you know do all of this special stuff. But but the question is. After that month, is this really what you want? That's really what that question's getting to. Is is this really what you want? And it gives it doesn't just give her a chance to mourn, it also gives him a chance to find his humanity after war because war is dehumanizing for everybody. He's been dehumanized, she's been dehumanized and they've got this month to find their humanity again and now after 30 days he gets to ask the question too. Yeah. And is this really what I want? Mm. I really like that distinction. I hadn't thought about that. Um, but the idea that I, I can see this now happening in multiple places of scripture where that exact scenario happens, where in the midst of um, him treating her the way she deserves, he's also given the chance to re-identify with his own humanity. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of uh, Jesus uh, when he says, if an enemy slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. That both is a way of saying, I'm going to practice nonviolence. I'm not going to hit you back, even though it seems like I deserve it. But it also gives your enemy the chance to assess his own humanity to say, Mm -hmm. do I really want to demean this person again by slapping him on the other cheek? So there's this back and forth that happens in places like that. Yeah. That's that's brilliant. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I... I marvel at all that God is is doing in this passage. And then before we started this, you were talking about the real zinger for you, which is the the second to last word. It says, but you shall not sell her for money. You shall not treat her as a slave since you have humiliated her. Yeah. And that word is a trigger word. Yeah. So this was the aha moment for me to see this passage as connecting with so many other parts of scripture. Uh, and, and honestly, you see this in Deuteronomy a lot. This is uh, a law code given to a group of freed slaves. So Moses, the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses standing, giving this long speech, all these laws of God, right as these freed slaves, they were slaves in Egypt, this mm-hmm. terrible slavery for 400 years. Uh, and they're about to enter this promised land. And there's so many times where God weaves in a reminder to the Israelites that you were slaves and I freed you, so don't treat people like you were just treated. Right? Mm-hmm. And so here, mm-hmm. one, you, you can't treat her like a slave. That's, that would definitely trigger in them, oh, yeah, because we were slaves and God freed us. I shouldn't treat others like a slave. But then that word uh, humiliated, uh, another way of translating it might be afflict, but I pulled up Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. So in Exodus chapter 1, Verse 11, this is the story of how Israel became slaves in the land of Egypt 400 years earlier. And one of the things that Pharaoh does is uh, because he's afraid of the, um, the Israelites growing and multiplying. And he says, okay, let's uh, set taskmasters or slave masters over them to afflict them. And that word afflict, if you look it up, it's the same word, same roots, uh, letters as the word humiliate. So another way, uh, other translations mm. might actually sync those together, but... We're reading from the ESV right now. So uh, a, a way to sync those up, that it's the same root. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to humiliate them, to afflict them. 
same thing back over to Deuteronomy 21. Uh, you can't treat her like a slave because you've already afflicted her. You've mm. already humiliated her. And so there's that little, that trigger word. Um, if as a, as a good Israelite, they've grown up from, from birth, learning their story over and over again. So the, the words like that would have brought all of this meaning. And so when, when God is telling these soldiers, you have afflicted them, what he's really saying is you're acting like a taskmaster. You're, you're acting like the slave master who afflicted you in Egypt when you do this. So mm. the whole scenario of you taking a woman to be your wife, um, as, as much as God is condescending to them and saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet you where you're at. Here's how it goes down when you do when it. When you do it. But, but just, still. Yeah, there's this like underlying thing there where he's also saying to them, when you do that, you're acting like the taskmasters of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Just so you know. Yeah. And there's a crazy connection, and I, you said this, but it, it, it digs deeper too. What does Jesus take on the cross? Yeah. He takes on our humiliation. Yeah. So then this is, I mean, you could do this, a word study. Uh, it, it's helpful if you can do a word study in the original Hebrew. So, and there's some free ways to do this online. Mm-hmm. But I did that. I did a word study because I was fascinated with that word humiliate, affliction. Uh, same root letters again. And it brought me to uh, one of our famous passages in Isaiah 53 Mm -hmm. that then points us all the way to Jesus. So all of this then, we could ask, we could step back on a big, big picture. How does even this really awkward, hard passage like Deuteronomy 21 point us to Jesus? And in Isaiah 53, there it is, verse 4. And... Verse 4 and 5, but there uh, in the ESV it says, We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And again, we have the same root word. He was humiliated for our transgressions. He was oppressed. Again, in verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted or humiliated. He, uh, but he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So all of this, like the picture of this suffering servant that Isaiah says, this is the one who's going to come and heal us of all of our sin. So all of that terrible ways that we treat people, which we see that in the way that the ancient soldiers would have done with the women of the towns that they conquered. Um, even that is taken on the cross in Jesus. And this is a picture of Jesus taking on all of our suffering, all of our shame, and he's afflicted in the way that we afflict others. He's humiliated in the way that we humiliate others so that we can actually receive new life from him. Yeah. Yeah. And powerfully, he identifies with the woman who became captured in the battle. And the the strongest identification in the passage is Jesus and the woman, not Jesus and the Israelite soldier, not in the, not with the conqueror, which is so fascinating. There's, I I was looking as you were talking too, and you know, Jesus consistently calls us and says, you know, it, it shall not be so. You shall not lord your authority over them, but you shall be like servants. And and when you when you go to a party, take the lowest seat. Mm-hmm. And he uses that word humiliate when he when he talks about that. He says, if you take the high seat, then you're going to be asked to move down when somebody of more uh, importance comes, and you will be humiliated. And it, it is a fascinating call for for all of us to. At least the challenge for me in this, as I as I read it, is to to take on the humiliation to some extent that Christ took on, and take the lower place, and and serve, um, 
and identify with that woman. And, and instead of, um, instead of working to be the successful soldier or the dominating force to, to let go of that and, and be in identification with Christ. Mm, That's good. The other, just a, an idea that comes to mind, it's, um, the phrase that I've used before is like, God sometimes plays the long game Mm. and with a passage like Deuteronomy 21, even still, what I wish was in there was even a line that says, if you want someone to be your wife, go and ask her. (laughs) (laughs) And he doesn't do that. So there still is a level of power dynamic that isn't directly addressed. But God is playing the long game because the rest of the passage says, but look at her like a person. She is a, a, a... woman made in my image, worthy of dignity and respect, and you're going to take care of her. You're going to feed her. You're going to clothe her. You're going to take her into your house. All of that then, it, 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 it plants a very clear seed um, that says, now, if you're treating her like that, shouldn't you ask her? Right? Like that, that, so while he doesn't say it explicitly, he's playing this long game because really he wants to transform the, the whole character of his people into the yeah. kinds of people who will naturally treat people with that kind of dignity. And yeah. It's so, it's so gentle. Yeah. And it goes back to the gentleness of God because his, his putting that moratorium on, on the marriage and then actually commanding the marriage is calling out of the man, his humanity again. And it's, and it's bestowing on the woman, her humanity, even after this, this tragedy of the death of her parents and this horrible war and the people that he's had to kill, nothing is more dehumanizing. And now they're all being called into this higher place of, of really being human. Yeah. It, it begs the question for me too. I, I find more challenge on that is where am I inhuman in my judgments of people in the way I live my life in a day in day out basis? Where do I actually, uh, live inhumanly, and I tend to find that often when I stand in righteous judgment above people. Yeah, because that's that's just pretty inhuman. That actually puts me in the place of God. I'm I'm being the judger. That's right. I know better than everybody else. My way is the right way, and it's not. Wow, this is good stuff coming out of a really hard passage. I can't wait for next week. <laughs> next week we're talking slavery, right? Let's do it. Okay. So next week we're going to pick up the prickly concept of of slavery and the Bible. Uh, it's been deeply misunderstood and we're going to dive in and, and approach it and hopefully help you feel better about um, scripture. Fall in love with it like we love it. Yeah. Have a great rest of your week. God bless you. Make sure you hit like, please, and subscribe. We'd love it if you'd subscribe. And even more importantly, We'd love your comments, so give us give us your feedback and comments, and uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. You can find more about the Kind Faith community at thekindfaith.org.